When we read Bible prophecy, there's a preconceived notion that what we're talking about either happened long ago or what has yet to be, not what we're reading applies to us today. But what if we are living out Bible prophecy in the here and now? What if the decisions we're making individually or as leaders or as nations is part of what the Bible has told us would happen or what would happen as a consequence of our actions, especially when it comes to dealing with the nation of Israel? We'll explore this subject in detail today as we review the signs of the times. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome into Signs of the Times, our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news for Friday, June 15th, 2018. I'm your host, Greg Hilton. Thanks for spending the next hour with us. Pastor Mark is on his way back from Israel, even as we speak, and will return next Friday. But today we're blessed to have a special guest with us, Bill Koenig. If you could say, now someone's college life even was successful, Bill's endeavors would qualify, even receiving an appointment to the Naval Academy, began working in commercial real estate until God redirected him to be interested in the Lord's real estate and founded his own news service. You can get that on watch.org, became a White House correspondent, and is an accomplished writer and author with his bestseller, Eye to Eye, Facing the Consequences of Dividing Israel, updated within the last year, which we'll talk about, plus much, much more. Bill, welcome to Signs of the Times. Hello, Greg. How are you today? I am doing great. How are you, sir? Wonderful. Thank you for this opportunity. Oh, we're, we're blessed to have you, believe me. Uh, before we get into your book and current events and, and the things that are on your heart, just out of total curiosity, you, you had a successful real estate career. Exactly what did God do to you in 1996 that got you interested to make that career change? Well, that's a good question, Greg. I, uh, you know, spent 15, 16 years in commercial real estate and had some really good years and went through some you know, challenging years in Texas. Uh, we, we had we had kind of a boom and bust mentality down there, and uh, you know had some invaluable experience uh, during my time in commercial real estate. And uh, you know, with the business uh, in the late '80s, early '90s, uh, pretty much over for a while. Uh, I started going to uh, a weekly Bible study taught by Bill Lawrence, and it was mm. a Dallas Theological Seminary Bible study. And, you know, at DTS, we had John Wolbert and uh, Dwight Pentecost and uh, Charles Ryrie. We had some incredible uh, teachers of prophecy, Greg. So uh, this just piqued my interest. It captivated my interest. And, uh, you know, the Internet was just becoming a a great tool and vehicle where someone like myself could uh, start a news organization uh, very inexpensively. And I've always loved communication, and I've always loved news. And uh, then with the litmus, or the opportunity to have the Word of God uh, and the Jewish prophets speaking of these days, and in, in many ways I believe that we were living in the days that Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah spoke of. So uh, at the encouragement of a couple of friends, they go, you know, you ought to start an uh, Internet news service. And um, I started, I, I did exactly that. Uh, our website address, which gives you an idea how long we've been on the net, is Watch. Dot org. That's W-A-T-C-H dot org. And uh, we've been doing it now uh, 22 years. That's fantastic. Now, did you do this at the same time that you became a White House correspondent? How did that fit into the, to the linear chain there? Well, I started in Dallas in 96, and then right after President, uh, well, after George W. Bush, Governor Bush at that time, was elected president, I really felt like uh, being from Dallas, being a Christian, knowing there was a lot of Christians from Dallas and Houston and around Texas that would be coming with Bush to uh, to the White House. Uh, I just really felt like the Lord wanted us to move our news organization from uh, from the Dallas-Fort Worth area and move it to uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, had the opportunity to meet with some people. And, um, you know, they, you know, what I needed to do to start serving the White House. And uh, after six months of uh, frequent... Uh, 
attendance of uh, press briefings, press conferences. I was able to get my uh, uh, hard pass, my uh, hard pass credentials, which is, there's not many of us, probably 250 or 300 in the world that have that pass, and it's mm-hmm. renewed every couple of years. And, um, you know, just started serving uh, started serving from the, uh, Washington out of the White House. But, you know, it's interesting, Greg, right outside of Nashville on the way to uh, Washington, D.C., I felt like the Lord uh, put in my heart, why are you going to D.C. Why are you going to Washington? Before I could even think of an answer, the Lord put in my heart, stand by Israel. Mm. And I felt like I got the directive just, uh, I remember as if it was yesterday, just uh, east of Nashville. And uh, boy, we've been doing that ever since. Wow. Well, as a White House correspondent and having that kind of access, have you had a chance over the years to share Bible prophecy, especially concerning Israel with presidents and lawmakers and people that you've come in contact with? I have. Um, you know, my first book, Israel, the Blessing and the Curse, John McTurnan and I wrote that. Um, I, you know, basically warned President Bush uh, before 9-11, don't touch that land, don't divide the land. You know, it's not for any earthly leader to divide. It's Abrahamic covenant land that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants. And uh, don't, don't divide it. Don't move on it. And I started, uh, you know, notifying the uh, White House through letters uh, the summer of 2001. And then, um, and then after, I, in my book, Eye to Eye, I have four letters that I wrote to President Bush over his, uh, over his eight years in office uh, talking about the consequences of those that divide the land of Israel. It was interesting because we were trying to finish Israel the blessing and curse uh, right before 9/11, and we just we just couldn't get it done for one reason or another. And you know how the Lord's timing is impeccable and <laughs> yes. perfect, and uh, He wanted that in. Uh, he wanted the 9/11 terror events in the book. And uh, what had happened, I found out after <clears throat> right after 9/11. This is a Washington Post article that um, President Bush, Colin Powell, Crown Prince Abdullah of Saudi Arabia. And also, Prince Bondar, the Saudi ambassador to the U.S., were negotiating on what was going to be the most comprehensive address ever given to the United Nations. Uh, they're going to call for the dividing of Jerusalem, the giving up of uh, what they call West Bank, we call Judea and Samaria, and also calling for a Palestinian state, something his dad or Bill Clinton would never have done. Hmm. And um, that work was completed, Greg, on 9-10. Wow. And and Prince Bondar was celebrating in his mansion here in McLean, Virginia, celebrating on this amazing work that he felt that they put into it. And he woke up, said the next day, he went from one of the happiest men on the planet to one of the most horrified when uh, 15 and 19 Saudis uh, took planes into our buildings in New York City and uh, here in D.C. in the Pentagon. So... Uh, that was supernatural. The God of Israel did not produce the evil of 9-11, but he did not stop it, which he has done so many other times before 9-11 and after 9-11. So this was just a, you know, warnings there. Um, I've warned, uh, warned Obama through Rahm Emanuel and uh, David Axelrod and also President Trump. I wrote him a letter last September, uh, don't, you know, don't touch the land, don't pressure us to do what they don't want to do. And so, yes, I've been in contact with them, their staff, President Bush's staff, Obama's staff, and now recently uh, President Trump's staff. Wow. So timing, timing seems to play a part in some things. So let me ask you this. When it comes to disasters or negative events in general, what's the criteria to determine if this is just life in a fallen world or if this is biblically prophetic? Now, this nine ten to nine eleven thing, that's clear like within 24 hours. Oh, yes. Something it was, major. It, is, is, absolutely. So is, is timing the issue, or are there other things involved? Well, uh, most of my events, I have 127 in my book, Eye to Eye, Facing the Consequences of Dividing Israel. Uh, the first one, the first major one, was when President Bush was at a podium in Madrid, Spain, starting the Land for Peace conference in October October 30, 31st, November 1 of uh, of. Uh, 1991. And at the moment he's at the podium calling on Israel to give us the West Bank and Jerusalem 30-foot waves from the perfect storm were crashing into his home in Kennebunkport, Maine. What? Not a day, not a week, not a month later. At the moment he's at a podium in Spain calling on Israel to give up its land. <laughs> and, you know, there's just, I mean, plus this was a perfect storm because a lot of things happened. It basically ended up being hurricane force winds. And rather than going west to east, 
and also in cold water. About a series of four or five things that happened that made it the perfect storm, that made that storm possible at the time he's calling on Israel to give up its land. So the, the key here is pressure. The greater the pressure on Israel, the greater the corresponding catastrophe. And most of the time it happens the same day or within 24 hours. And that's the key there is pressure on Israel. You can say it, you can speak it. There have been events that have been connected to that. But over time, Greg, the greater the pressure, the greater the corresponding catastrophes. And we've even seen hurricanes go back to the ocean when uh, President uh, Bush in 2005 and Obama and Hillary Clinton in 2010 said we will not pressure Israel to do what they Israel or the Palestinians do what they don't want to do. And we saw Ophelia in 2005 and Hurricane Earl go back to the ocean and die and, and be no longer. So, uh, you know, you can almost you can feel that collective fury and fire of the God of Israel when the thought of an Arab state being put in the biblical heartland of Israel, which is Judea and Samaria. You could just feel the, the fury and the fire of the God of Israel when uh, his land is at uh, at risk. Wow, amazing. Now, uh, before we get into other things, and maybe you've covered this in eye to eye, and we've talked about this over the last eight years during President o- Obama's presidency, uh, we saw, and, and, and Pastor Mark had, had seen uh, actions that President Obama had taken, but we didn't see the response we thought we'd see from the Lord, as we did when President Bush was in office, specifically in 2005 with Katrina. Did we miss something, or or did you see something different that we missed regarding President Obama and his dealings with the land of Israel? Well, that's a good point. And it's, uh, no, there was a lot of events during Obama's time in office. What's interesting is most of the major events during George W. Bush's time in office had to do with major record-setting hurricanes. 2004, 2005, and uh, then towards the end in 2007, 2008, we had some real violent storms, uh, earthquake, um, or actually uh, we didn't have an earthquake, but we had violent storms, floods, and things like that. But uh, it's interesting because during George W. Bush's time in office, um, both the Republican Convention of 2008 and the Republican Convention of uh, uh, 2012 were disrupted by hurricanes. Yeah. And um, so what happened during Obama's time in office, most of those were record-setting tornado outbreaks. Uh, 2011, um, we never had so many billion-dollar events up until last year. We had one billion-dollar event after another in 2011, and that's when... Uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, uh, Susan Rice at the U.N., and Obama said that, uh, uh, especially Rice and Clinton said uh, Israel has no right uh, to call this land uh, in Judea and Samaria theirs. They have no, no right. They have no right to build. This isn't their land. And uh, so that was a 2011. It was one event after another. So uh, hurricanes, obviously, they take uh, you, you watch them for a week or ten days, and they become major events, and, uh, and they become very significant in size. Tornado outbreaks hit, and they're gone. Hit, and they're gone. Uh, the Joplin uh, tornado outbreak, and uh, uh, memory serves me right, that was um, uh, 2000, I think it was 2000, uh, well, I'll, I'll think of it in a second. But, sure. you know, here he is uh, at the White House. It was 2011, I, I believe it was 2011. Uh, Right here, he's at the White House, this is May, and he's telling the world that this is what Israel's going to do. Uh, he made a major statement at the State Department, and then 48 hours later, he's at the APAC conference. This is the large Jewish lobby that comes to, to Washington, D.C. every year for their policy conference. So he came out with a, that Israel has to go back to the six-day borders, Israel must do this, Israel must do that. Uh, and within a few hours uh, of him leaving that speech, the Joplin, the major Joplin event happened. This is the li- largest, most costly winter storm in history. Mm-hmm. He was going to go to the G8 meeting and get all those leaders to back what he had just said in Washington, D.C., but because of Stephen Harper, the Canadian prime minister, said, I'm, I'm not going to go along with this, it didn't happen. But Joplin became a massive uh, tornado event. 
And um, so that, that's what's interesting. I think that uh, there were plenty of events uh, in um, eye-to-eye uh, during both terms of, uh, of Obama, with Clinton as the Secretary of State, and also especially with Kerry. A lot more happened during the time with Kerry because Kerry was so actively involved in the process. So, oh Boy, was uh, he ever. Yes. Very, very active, Greg. So we had a lot of events. They, they're not like the hurricanes, uh, but uh, nonetheless, um, there were some very significant, costly uh, same-day events, as I call them, same-day or within 24-hour events that took place during uh, Obama's terms. But you would say, for the most part, though, those indicators are natural, natural disaster-related. Oh, yeah, they all are. Okay. And, uh, you know, like I said again, the greater the pressure, the greater the corresponding catastrophe. A um, good example of uh, in uh, August of 2005, when 9,500 Jews were forced from their home and evicted from their home in 24 settlements in Samaria and four settlements in, in uh, 24 settlements, I'm sorry, in Gaza and four settlements in Samaria, um, within a couple hours of President Bush congratulating Ariel Sharon. Uh, this tropical depression formed near the Bahamas, which is very unusual. Most of the big events start off the west coast of Africa. But within a couple hours, uh, this became uh, a massive event. Uh, hurricane, uh, Tropical Storm Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, and uh, hit an area the size of 90,000 square uh, uh, miles, which is the size of the United Kingdom. And the parallels of what was talked about in Israel the week before and the parallels of what uh, with the same terminology and language that was used in the southern Gulf Coast was just completely uh, compatible to what had happened in Israel. And I, and I think, you know, the, the people of Israel were dispersed all over the country. Uh, people in the southern Gulf Coast, especially in the New Orleans area, were dispersed to 34 states. Yeah. And, and I can go on and on, but, um, you know, major events, record-setting events, and I kind of, I could summarize it this way, that 14 costliest insurance events in U.S. history all have a corresponding time frame to what we were doing to Israel at the time of those events. The 15 costliest hurricanes in U.S. history, uh, four of the five largest tornado outbreaks in U.S. history, and the two largest terrorism events in U.S. history all correspond to U.S. pressure on Israel to divide their land. Uh, which yeah. is very significant. Now, the 9-11 thing that you shared earlier, that was very revealing. I never heard that before. That's that's amazing. Now, out of all of these uh, natural disasters that are relate that you can that you can tie back to our dealing, at least in this country, and we'll get to the world in a minute, uh, with, with dealing with the nation of Israel, would you say that the event of Hurricane Katrina was probably the, the most uh, costly or the most... Uh, detailed in God's response to the dealings, or is there something else out there that would that would be more of a, a, a larger flag to say, hey, you can't deny this was the Lord? No. Well, I think of all the 127 events, and I mean, these are That's a uh, who's who of storms, and, and, yeah. and I, if I went down the list, you would recognize most of them. But Katrina was the biggest of the big. Um, you know, the God of Israel put in the hearts of the Jewish people to go back to the land of Israel. He put it on their hearts to occupy the land. Uh, they were living in their homes and communities, uh, beautiful communities. We were down in that area of Gush Katif, that where the 24 settlements in Gaza were a month uh, before they were evicted from their homes. Uh, this is, you know, they were evicted from their homes, their synagogues, their businesses, their life. And to, be, to evict the Jewish people from the homeland that God gave to them is, is serious, Greg. And... So for the, it, it was so significant. Number one, it, it happened so quickly mm-hmm. after President Bush congratulated Sharon, saying that this was necessary to achieve the two-state plan of his, uh, and then to have the magnitude of that storm for 34 straight days here in Washington D.C. The main story on the front page of the Washington Post, the Washington Times, and the Baltimore Sun was Katrina. We've never had a storm that dominated the news, not only here in our uh, nation's capital, but around the country. This was so significant that it just it completely dominated the news. And I had a, a friend that had been a journalist for 30 years at the White House. She said, 
Bill, President Bush never got over the consequence and the, uh, of, of 9-11, the events of 9-11 and the consequences thereafter, uh, politically and also Katrina. Those two events dominated and created massive consequences for this administration and basically put it, put it out of balance. And um, she's not a, she was not a believer. I mean, she was not someone that knew a lot about Israel, uh, but she was very sensitive to the fact that those two events had a massive uh, and a major effect on the, on the effectiveness of President uh, Bush's time in office. Now, uh, regarding President Bush, we've hypothesized, it, is he a Christian, is he not a Christian? It's kind of, you know, hard to tell, and it's, and it's hard to tell with people in the public life like that. Uh, have you had a chance to personally talk to him even after the presidency or, or, or find out uh, if, he's, if he's made a correlation between his dealing with the land of Israel and these events? Well, I did have a nice uh, short visit with him in Midland, Texas, about a year after he left office. Mm. Uh, first thing I said, you know, we miss you in Washington. It's, it's, <laughs> things have changed ever since Obama was yes, elected. We had a nice visit, and um, he was talking about, we were talking about our faith uh, shortly, and then he started talking about one of the highlights of his time in office was being in uh, Africa and hearing these young Christian orphans uh, and being with Christian orphans in Africa and just how special and how sweet that was, just how how wonderful of an experience that was for him. Uh, you know, he his background was Episcopalian and then Methodist. He went to a really good church in, uh, in Dallas, United Methodist Church. Um, and these are churches that don't have a real affinity for Israel. But nonetheless, he was a friend of Israel. Uh, 85-88% of the Israelis today believe that he was a friend of Israel. I believe that. I believe as a believer. Um, he just, when it came to connecting the consequences... Uh, he didn't really see that. What was interesting, I, I gave eye to eye to him right after uh, Katrina. Mm. I'd already given him my previous book, and he did state for the next couple of years, I will not pressure Israel to do what they don't want to do themselves. Yeah. It was Condoleezza Rice and Ehud Olmert, the, Jerusalem, uh, the Israeli prime minister, that really pushed the peace process. So with all that said, Greg, yes, I believe as a believer, uh, he, he was moved by his Christian experiences. Uh, he speaks of his faith. Uh, you know, we're all at different, uh, we're all at different phases and periods of our personal growth with the Lord, and only sure. God knows for sure. But he had a good heart, and he was a very decent man. And, uh, you know, all our presidents, Greg, even, you know, all the way back to Harry Truman, have all been used in a very significant way with the state of Israel in bringing things to a prophetic fulfillment. So um, uh, that's how God's used our presidents. How about uh, in, in the world, uh Bill, when it comes to other leaders in the world uh, dealing with the land of Israel, maybe even leaders within Israel, uh, well, has that, there been consequences there? Oh, absolutely. Um, in my book, I, I document what happened. Every Middle East leader that attempted to conquer, divide the land of Israel, and their tragic ends, uh, it was one, one after another. I mean, whether it's uh, Saddam Hussein, or the Saad, uh, Sadat, um, King Hussein, um, you know, Harari there in Lebanon, every one of them experienced it. And I went into great detail of the consequence of trying to divide the land. Also, every uh, Israeli government, since the peace process began in 91, there was a lot of governments that collapsed once they got involved with the peace process. Ehud Olmert was close, and all of a sudden he had some legal problems, so he had to collapse his government. You know, it's affected the prime ministers of Israel as well. Uh, as far as international leaders, most of it's come against us because we've been the sponsor of the peace process, but there are others that experienced it as well. Uh, Tony Blair's uh, plane was hit by lightning twice when he was coming into, once when he was coming into Washington, D.C., uh, to discuss with President Bush the peace process. Another time in Europe when he was going to a, a land for peace meeting. Um, you know, uh, Angela Merkel, uh, January 20, let's see, January 2007, she's standing next to uh, Condoleezza Rice, and they're both emphasizing the importance of Israel and the Palestinians to, uh, to go along with the peace process, to seize the moment. And at the time they're speaking in Berlin about this, hurricane-force winds hit Germany so ferocious, Greg, that it, it closed the entire rail system of the country. Wow. Every 
train in Germany. And I, we just went through Germany recently on our way back from Israel. That's a big country. <laughs> Every yes. train was in the station because the winds were so ferocious. Uh, Rice left there, went on to, on to the U.K., same thing. Massive hurricane force winds as she was going there to meet with Tony Blair. Uh, we've seen earthquakes in New Zealand when John Kerry uh, had worked a behind-the-scenes deal on the final U.N. resolution just before they left office. Um, you know, massive floods, massive rains, uh, right at the entire European continent, Russia were impacted in, uh, in the summer of 2003, immediately after the Quartet Roadmap was uh, delivered to Israel and the Palestinians. So the Quartet is the United States, the EU, the UN, and Russia. So that, uh, the meteorologist said we never saw it coming. It, it completely <laughs> devastated their summer. So uh, I, uh, I speak of those events, too. Uh, there aren't as many, but that they are as ferocious and as big as many of our uh, storms as well. When they, well, you know, the recent one was uh, the floods of uh, June 3rd and 4th of 2016 when the French were sponsoring a major peace conference in, in Paris. They had record floods, record rains. And um, that was probably the most recent uh, international event. Uh, that that took place because they were involved in the French push real hard in Obama's last two years of office. Uh, one other quick note here: the uh, Palestine, the uh, European Parliament, on December 17, 2014, voted in favor of a Palestinian state, and that's the day the euro collapsed against the dollar and other international currencies. Mm. The same day, so it, you can see these things over and over again. Sometimes you don't understand what's going on at the time of the event, and after a while you go, oh, this is what was going on. Oh, no wonder. <laughs> so, so the pattern continues. Well, I'll tell you, these World Peace Conferences should be spelled P-E-I-C-E because they're all about taking a piece of Israel. Exactly. Not, not, about, not about true uh, true peace at all. That's what, right. What, what about, what, Bill, what about Israeli leaders uh, well, involved? Because obviously we, we've, you've had some in the past that have been friendly towards land division, really, I think, probably out of the desire for peace. Well, I think that, um, um, yeah, I mean, Begin, right after the Camp David Accord, he basically, his last 10 or 11 years uh, was in seclusion. Um, you know, when he did the deal with the Sadat, Sadat lost his life to yeah. an assassin's bullet right after uh, the Camp David Accords. Camp David Accords brought in the Palestinians. Um, that was Jimmy Carter's uh, effort. And, you know, so you look at the Israeli government, so they all were reluctant to go with the peace process. Uh, Shamir and, well, first of all, Begin eventually came along, then Shamir. Uh, Rabin um, sadly lost his life in office. Uh, some people believe that uh, he was going to pull away from the, the peace process, but nonetheless, he was very active in it at the time. Uh, tragically lost his life. Uh, I have a chapter in the book, the, the very uh, almost surreal uh, political parallels between Rabin's uh, political ending and Ariel Sharon's. Uh, a lot of the uh, very mm. similar things happened to both of them. And, um, you know, some of the rabbis in Israel said, you know, the land would not even take Sharon. He was in a coma for eight years. The land would not even receive him <laughs> after he agreed to giving wow. up that land and forcing the Jews from their home. Yeah, that was huge, Greg. And that was one that uh, you hear about from time to time from the Orthodox rabbis saying, no earthly leader has the right to give up that land. And Rabin suffered, I mean, uh, and Sharon suffered the consequences. Uh, Barak's government collapsed. Uh, well, first of all, Netanyahu's government collapsed. He was the prime minister of 96. He came to the White Plantation here in Washington, D.C. Uh, they had their meeting just outside of D.C. in Maryland. Uh, he agreed to give up uh, part of the Judea, Hebron area. Wow. And, um, you know, his government collapsed. Man, amazing. Well, Bill, uh, we got to take a break here at the top of the hour, but we're going to continue this discussion. We're going to talk about President Trump and some other things as well and the things that are currently going on in the world as it relates to the land of Israel with our special guest, Bill Koenig. Signs of the Times continues on WIM. Don't go anywhere. Israel in the News is up next. WIAMLP. 101.1 FM, Knoxville. 
from the headquarters of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews in Jerusalem, this is Israel in the News. I'm Bob Sauer. After more than a month of violence at the Gaza border, with Hamas and other terrorist groups firing rockets and mortars into Israel, the United Nations General Assembly met on Wednesday and passed a resolution condemning Israel for using excessive, disproportionate, and indiscriminate force. This is just the latest evidence of bias against Israel at the UN. U.S. Ambassador to the UN Nikki Haley. It is Hamas and its allies that have fired over a hundred rockets into Israel in the past month, hoping to cause death to as many civilians as possible. It is Hamas that has used Palestinian civilians as human shields at the boundary fence, seeking to incite violence and overrun the border. And yet. The resolution before us not only fails to blame Hamas for these actions, it fails to even mention Hamas. Ambassador Haley tried to add a paragraph to the resolution condemning Hamas, but it was rejected on procedural grounds, even though most member states supported it. Israel's ambassador to the UN, Danny Dannon, praised Haley for her effort. And according to the Times of Israel, Dannon condemned the resolution as grossly biased, arguing that it attacks Israel but fails to mention Hamas even once. By supporting this resolution, you are colluding with a terrorist organization. By supporting this resolution, you are empowering Hamas. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, in a statement before the vote, praised Haley and said, Israel appreciates the Trump administration's steadfast support for Israel at the United Nations, and Ambassador Haley's strong statement today exposing the hypocrisy of the UN's bias against Israel. You're listening to Israel in the News. With the Iranian regime sponsoring terror and continually calling for an end to Israel's existence, Prime Minister Netanyahu made an unprecedented show of kindness directly to the Iranian people. The Iranian people are victims of a cruel and tyrannical regime that denies them vital water. Israel stands with the people of Iran, and that is why I want to help save countless Iranian lives. Here's how. Iran's meteorological organization says that nearly 96% of Iran suffers from some levels of drought. Israel has the know-how to prevent environmental catastrophe in Iran. The people of Iran are good and decent. They shouldn't have to face such a cruel regime alone. We are with you. We will help so that millions of Iranians don't have to suffer. This has been Israel in the News, a weekly news summary presented by the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Visit keystoisrael.com to download our free resources in honor of Israel's 70th anniversary. I'm Bob Sauer. Signs of the Times now continues. Here again is your host. Welcome back, everyone, to the second half of our show, Signs of the Times, for Friday, June 15th, 2018. I'm your host, Greg Hilt, and Pastor Mark is out this week coming back from Israel, but our special guest, Bill Koenig, has been with us for the last half hour, enlightening us on a lot of things that has to do with not only the U.S. is dealing with Israel, but really because God's word is to all the world, uh, the, his, his warnings to, are to all the world in terms of dealing with the land of Israel. And we uh, left our first half hour talking about even Israeli leaders and the consequences that, that came to them as a result of trying to divide the land of Israel. Bill, welcome back. Thanks for, again for being with us. Um, anything else you want to add from the last half hour with regarding to the Israeli leaders? Yeah, thank you, Greg. Um, uh, yeah, uh, gov- um, Netanyahu's uh, government collapsed right after he agreed to give up some of Judea and part of Hebron uh, during, after the white plantation uh, pressure of uh, 1998. Bill Clinton put a lot of pressure on him. He finally uh, went along with it, and um, his government collapsed. Uh, Ehud Barak became prime minister, backed by Bill Clinton. Uh, he gave a very generous offer to Assad of Syria, who died of a heart attack during peace talks. Amazing. It, it was. It was absolutely. I'll never forget that uh, when Bill Clinton was on stage and received a note, a paper note, saying that Assad had uh, passed away, and he just looked up into the sky uh, just in disbelief. Do you ever uh, want to stand up in the middle of these people and yell, do you see what I'm talking about? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. When I stood next to Shimon Perez and Netanyahu and 
and Omer, oh gosh, yes, Greg. But uh, you know, I just I, I, <laughs> that's the the passion. But I, yeah. you know, I've, I've I've let the Lord kind of give me some wisdom under Amen. the circumstances yes. as you can relate to. Yes. But I think the uh, the other thing is Barack. Uh, then in uh, Camp David in two thousand, he offered a uh, Arafat virtually almost everything he wanted, but he, uh, Arafat wanted sovereignty over the holy sites, and uh, so that deal never made. Uh, fortunately, uh, so the land land was not transferred. But right after that. Generous offered uh, at the um, Camp David here in the D.C. area. Um, Ariel Sharon uh, started uh, uh, a lot of talk uh, in Israel about giving up the land. How ironic! And then uh, Barack's government collapsed shortly thereafter. Uh, they they went to an election. That's when Sharon in October of 2001 on the Temple Mount, and he went from having like five or ten percent in the polls to becoming the next prime minister. And he went along um, uh, with uh, President George W. Bush's plan to uh, to leave some of the land in Gaza and Samaria. And then uh, shortly thereafter, he had a heart attack. Uh, his first uh, health issue uh, came in December of 2005, and then he was uh, January 4 of 2001, or I'm sorry, uh, 2006. He ended up having a, a major stroke and uh, was in a coma for eight years. So... And then Omer was very close to cutting a deal with um, the Palestinians, and um, and all of a sudden his legal things came down on him, so he had to collapse the government. And then right now Netanyahu is a great friend of Christians from around the world. We all appreciate him and his strength, and what he's done for Israel is uh, he's at this point kind of going along with the process, peace process, and he's got a couple of different potential legal problems that uh, sur- seem to surface when he gets the most involved in the in the peace talks. So, um, you know, obviously uh, our leaders have a biblical prophetic role, so do the Israel leaders. So uh, we watch this with great interest, but it all gets back to, Greg, that God gave the land of Israel to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants, and no earthly leader, whether it's an Israeli prime minister or American president or anybody else, has the right to divide the land of Israel. Let, let's go back to the Camp David Accords, which you said that gave birth to the Palestinian Authority at that time, which would have been Yasser Arafat, correct? That's correct. Uh, in the charter, the PA's charter, I don't know, have you read that? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, the camp, let me put it this way. The Camp David Accord was an agreement, Sadat of Egypt and... Begin, the Israeli Prime Minister, agreed to this deal that was brokered by Jimmy Carter. And in that agreement, they basically brought the Palestinians into the fold uh, during Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter was only a, and really after the Camp David Accord, I mean, one thing after another went wrong for him, very similar to what happened to George Herbert Walker Bush after he started the land for peace process. And then he had a fiasco with Iran and he was out of office. Mm. Ronald Reagan became president. Uh, so, um, I haven't read the charter. Uh, it's supposedly not in place any longer, but it's a charter that calls for the elimination of the state of Israel. Yeah, I, I think it, I think I had heard it termed that I think it was point number nine or whatever on the charter that their goal was to drive the Jews into the Mediterranean. Correct. Okay. So I just didn't know if that was just somebody made that up or you know or that was that was really in there. Yeah, I, I don't know all the, the, the specifics. Uh, it's been a while, I, Greg, but I mean, they do basically uh, call for the elimination of Israel. Um, that language of driving the Jews into the land or spilling their blood or driving them in the Mediterranean was the language of, of Nasser of Egypt and Hafez Assad of Syria uh, right before the Six Day War. Thankfully, uh-huh. these guys spoke with great bravado to the world that they were about to destroy the, uh, Israel, so Israel hit them first in the miraculous six-day war victory. So uh, with, their big, with their big mouths, uh, so to speak, uh, Israel uh, very well prepared for that uh, amazing military victory. And uh, that's when that was really the language of the time, was it right before the six-day war. Okay. Well, uh, Pastor Mark always points out that every time Israel was attacked, they'd gain more land. So, every time. So it's like, please attack us, we need more land type of thing. I know. It. And then they offered, right after the Six-Day War in 67, they offered 
to the Arabs just to give them the land back that they obtained just for the right of Israel to live in peace and security without problems. And the Arabs, uh, the Arab League refused, they unanimously uh, uh, refused to accept that in November of 67. And they went to the United Nations to form UN Resolution 242. That basically is the agreement that's part of the peace process today, that in UN Resolution 338. So what happened is Israel said, just let us live in peace and security. We'll give you the land. But then they went to the, then the Arabs went to the UN for this resolution to put the international pressure on Israel to give up the land. And, uh, and, and that's been the foundation of the peace process, uh, so-called peace process ever since. Yeah. Well, before we get to uh, President Trump and, and some of the, uh, the, the later inclusions you've made to your book, Eye to Eye, also want to talk about another book uh, that you've written. I want to say it's been recently released, and that's called Revealed Obama's Legacy where you cover a whole host of topics ranging from the military, national debt, Islam, Christianity, and everything in between. And now while it's clear he was clear, a destructive leader uh, for our nation on many levels, um, where, where, do you, where do you see him fitting into the history of prophecy and his involvement in, 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 in what we see the Bible playing out for us? Well, uh, Revealed uh, was important to write because it was eight years of what I watched and what I uh, experienced there at the White House during Obama's two terms in office. A friend of mine, it's uh, vice president of a national ministry, said, Bill, I'm so glad you wrote this because there's things in this book we had no idea happened. Mm. And I broke it into seven areas. Uh, number one is how he was influenced. Number two, uh, faith in his terms. Uh, number three, um, LGBT, he owns it. Uh, number four, uh, spoke of his relationship with Israel in the Middle East and his involvement there. Uh, number five, what he did to our military. Uh, number six, uh, will we ever get over uh, the eight? Will we ever get over the consequences of the eight years of with him in office? And then the final chapter is so help me God, giving him an opportunity uh, not only to repent but at that time to call for national repentance. He was still in office when the book was completed. Hmm. So it's it's a real eye opener. Uh, it is. Basically, in many cases, uh, people appreciate it because I've used Obama's words, uh, whether, it's, whether it's the Cairo speech of June 2009, uh, whether it's speeches of his at the uh, two Muslim groups, uh, or even National Day of Prayer when he chastised Christians. So it's very informative. It's a quick read. It's a couple hundred pages, but it's a great summary of what happened. Uh, but what's interesting prophetically, uh, probably the most significant role of Obama was this misguided Iran nuke deal <laughs> that we've heard a lot about, but the interesting aspect of that, it has formed a coalition of Sunni Arab countries working in close cooperation with the state of Israel when they couldn't rely on Washington, D.C. or the Obama administration out of their own concern for their own personal security and safety, the Sunni Arabs, the Saudis, the Emirates, uh, and other members that, uh, of other Sunni countries that boarded the Persian Gulf, they started working with Israel, and it developed an amazing relationship. And that's what Kushner and Trump are working on right now, the U.S.-Israel-Sunni-Arab coalition, to stand up against Iran, which is considered the number one threat uh, to Israel in the Middle East, and uh, American allies, Sunni Arabs, and, and possibly the world, because uh, the fact that they boarded the Persian Gulf, which is 25% of the the oil that uh, the nations consume on a daily basis. Uh, it's incredibly important. So that's the good news of the bad Iran nuke deal. Well, uh, and regarding Saudi Arabia, that's why we believe that we see them in Ezekiel 38 and 39 as one of the countries that's not taking any action. Uh, uh, exa exactly, yeah. Greg. And I might add, too, Jeremiah 49, 35 through 39 speaks of Elam, and as Dr. Wolver at DTS would say, that prophecy has never been fulfilled. Elam is modern-day Iran. Uh, so there's some good news there about dealing with Iran and also the fact that the Iranian people will come to know. Uh, I believe it, it, that it's written to the point that they will come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That would be fantastic. And we've seen an outpouring in the news regarding uh, uh, Muslims giving their life to Christ 
in, in, in droves. And that's and a lot of it's just Jesus coming and visiting them in, in areas where you can't go in and share the gospel. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, now, Tom Doyle, a good friend of mine, has written a couple books about that. Tom's and his wife, uh, Joanne, are doing amazing work throughout the Middle East. Uh, and uh, he's written a couple books about that. That's exactly what's happened is uh, Jesus has uh, come to them in dreams and visitations. Uh, and a lot of Arabs have quietly and secretly come to Jesus and have kept it to themselves because it's, uh, they risk their life if that ever gets out. Yeah, they sure do. Now, to springboard off of uh, your book that you wrote about President Obama, one of the chapters in there, Can We Ever Get Over These Eight Years? Let's, let's, let's kind of move into President Trump now. Uh, Wow. I mean, on so many on so many on so many levels, Pastor Mark actually did a short video where where he he's chronicled a lot of similarities between President Trump and Samson. And Samson at the time was the leader that the nation needed. He they needed a guy that could care less what anyone else said that could be tough. Even even in course in that way. Uh, while we don't necessarily like that, we certainly like the results. Maybe you can talk about uh, him and, and, and maybe the people that he surrounded himself with, which certainly seems very uh, Christian and Jewish friendly. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I bet that is a great teaching. Um... Uh, comparing uh, Trump and Samson. Oh, it is. Um, he, he, it, <laughs> well, Trump, very, Trump would like that, too, I think, probably. I'm sure he would. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he would. And also what's interesting, Isaiah 45, uh, King Cyrus, the Israelis yes. look at uh, this uh, this friend from afar, like a King Cyrus. Here he is. He's our 45th uh, president. Did you get and, one of the coins when you were over in Israel recently? I, I haven't got the coin oh, okay. yet, but I, I've okay. certainly seen them, Greg. Okay. <laughs> and I think that that is uh, very interesting. I mean, what I, what I call it right now, and I've, I'm start, other people are calling it, is President Trump's a, assembled the dream team when it comes to Israel and the Middle East. Uh, Vice President Pence, uh, a great believer, evangelical. Yeah, that's understands. clear. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. That was probably the best decision uh, President Trump made. He fully understands the biblical significance of the state of Israel and the times we live in. Uh, Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, is wonderful, evangelical, mm. a strong believer, great friend of Israel. Uh, I had some leaders from Samaria in his office when he was in Congress. The first thing he said to them was, "Boy, I'm sure glad you guys didn't give up the Golan Heights to Syria." Wow! And and he understands it. John Bolton, another yeah. man that fully understands uh, the situation with Israel, the Middle East. Nikki um, Haley. Oh, Nikki Haley is phenomenal. She's on I, fire. I, oh, she's she's incredible. Yeah. She is so good. Uh, a friend of mine in the Israeli government says, "You know, we could not have asked for a more perfect ambassador at this time than Nikki Haley." And then General Mattis, um, you know, in my news report a couple weeks ago that I put out on Fridays, um, General Mattis, there was a great article that General Mattis has had a 33-year bone to pick with Iran over the loss of those Marines in Lebanon that Iran had a responsibility for. Ah. Uh, what's also interesting, Greg, too, is he, he was the head of CENTCOM, and he uh, strongly opposed the Iran nuclear deal. And Obama... Fire, basically released him from that position, and then he ended up retiring, and now he's back in a very significant role at the Pentagon. I mean, he's so well-loved. Uh, he's doing a great job rebuilding our military. The morale has gone from the worst it's been in years to probably the best it's been in years, and uh, with a president that fully understands the importance of a strong military. So, um, you know, you've got a dream team being put together. They all understand the problem with Iran. Iran is very clever. They're very crafty. They're patient. Uh, they're three-dimensional thinkers. They're very smart people. Eighty-five uh, percent of the of the Persians have a have an appreciation for the West, and and also a lot of them really appreciate the Jewish people. They have a good relationship. Even Netanyahu mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. He how sure capable did. Persian people are, and that was great, Greg, that he did that because they are. They're very good people and uh, very talented, but. 15% of their country, um, uh, Khomeini and Rouhani and Zarif, they, they run the country, yeah. and it's uh, very difficult for them. And they've, uh, So th the bottom line here is we have a, a leadership here in Washington, D.C. right now that fully understands the number one threat to Israel, to the Sunni Arabs, to the Middle East, to the world economies is Iran, and they're going to be dealt with by, uh, by this administration. 
I, I've got to wonder uh, now on the on the flip side, uh, your book really spends a lot an eye to eye spends a lot of time obviously chronicling <laughs> when when we try to divide or when anyone tries to divide the land is Israel. Here comes the consequences. What about in, in President Trump has done nothing of the sort. As, as far as we can tell at this point, although there was some talk about maybe part of his larger plan was to take East Jerusalem as the Palestinian capital as part of his his deal. Pastor Mark seems to think a lot of what he does is based on his book, The Art of the Deal, or whatever it is about neg- right. negotiating. Right. Um, what do you see? Any Do you see anything correlating positive that you could say is a blessing from the Lord as a result of his positive dealings with the land of Israel? Well, I, m- I might add, um, um, as I was expanding eye to eye, you know, we updated it, or I completed the update in uh, August of last year. And what was interesting is I was I was moving along, and I was just in the process. I wrote a great chapter about Trump being the the most uh, friendly president we've had to the state of Israel. Uh, his commitment to a Jewish uh, the Jewish people uh, moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. I was extremely complimentary. But what's interesting, um, his son-in-law, who in a lot of ways, in the natural, did a great thing getting uh, President Trump an audience in May, uh, May of last year with the, the leaders of 57 Muslim countries. It was a coup in many ways. Mm. Uh, his first international trip was to, to meet with them and then to come to Israel. Flew right from Riyadh to, to Israel. It's usually the other way around. And I found out uh, just, I mean, just, I mean, I really, I was ready to go to print that uh, the following Monday. And then this uh, Hurricane Harvey developed. And I go, this is just too big. There's got to be something here. So I did some homework and I found out through Arab press, the U.S. press wasn't covering this, mm. that Kushner was having secretive behind-the-scenes meetings in Doha, Qatar, uh, Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, with Prince uh, Salman, um, uh, Crown Prince Salman, and then was in Abu Dhabi meeting with the leader of the Emirates, all secretively talking about a comprehensive deal between U.S.-sponsored Israel and the Sunni Arabs, and with the Palestinian state being part of the plan. Uh-oh. <laughs> he, he came he came to Jerusalem. He came to then he went to Amman and then he went to Egypt. And those were public meetings. We could follow those. And the night he uh, landed in Jerusalem is the the night that uh, Hurricane Harvey reformed. It had been gone for three and a half days. It was all but finished. And as soon as he's landing in Jerusalem, the Harvey reforms within twenty four hours, it's a monster storm. And within 48 hours, it's hitting uh, Texas. And it just sat on Texas for a while. And I'll, I'll throw this out real quick, Greg, because even though President Trump is a great friend of Israel, even though he has been blessed because he's made these significant moves, the major hurricanes last summer of Harvey, Irma, and Marie all fell during the Jewish month of Elul, the month of repentance. And the day that Marie came on shore in Puerto Rico, President Trump is meeting with Abdullah of Jordan, uh, al-Sisi of Egypt, and Abbas of the Palestinians at the U.N. talking about the division of the land of Israel. Oh, wow. So all three of those happen at the same time. And I wrote President, uh, President Trump, please don't, <laughs> please be, you know, don't pressure Israel. Don't do this. Don't do that. So... Um, but nonetheless, 48 hours before Marie hit, uh, hit Puerto Rico and landed in Puerto Rico, and I, you know, we have friends and family who've been impacted by these hurricanes in, in uh, Houston and Florida, yeah. uh, not in Puerto Rico, but, I mean, it's, it's so hard to comprehend this. But nonetheless, you look at it again, 48 hours before Marie uh, landed on Puerto Rico, President Trump was meeting with Netanyahu about what he was going to do to push forward with the peace process, and Marie went from a Category 1 to a Category 5 within 14 hours, which is just like virtually never happens. Mm. And then it, uh, so you go, whoa, whoa. And um, so President Trump has said, uh, we will not pressure Israel or the Palestinians to do what they don't want to do. If they want to do two states, it's up to them. 
Uh, but he sounds like he's going to be coming forward with a plan here soon, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll watch very closely. But uh, I, I believe, based on history, there will be consequences once again. Boy, no doubt. I mean, that's some, that's some pretty fine details. I mean, that's just absolutely incredible. Well, so obviously that kind of answers the question about Harvey. That was going to be my, my next question uh, that I was going to ask you. Uh, in the more current news, uh, do you find any prophetic correlation to uh, the recent volcanic activity in Hawaii and Guatemala? Well, I'll throw this out, uh, possibly. Um Mike Pence was in Israel February 22nd, 23rd, had a powerful speech at the Knesset, a true friend of Israel. The next day in the morning, February 23rd, he's sitting with the president of Israel, Rivlin, at his home, and he says President Trump is committed to the peace process. Twenty-five minutes later, we had a 7.9 earthquake in the center of the Gulf of Alaska that sent tsunami warnings up and down the West Coast within 25 minutes. Wow. And I go, wow, that's, that's amazing. And then the day that there was a rumor that President Trump was going to agree to give up four uh, communities in East Jerusalem with the capital of a Palestinian state, Abudis. Yes. This was a rumor yes. that came out that you're alluding to, Greg. Yes. Uh, is the day that the earthquake and the volcano happened. It began in, uh, began in Hawaii. <laughs> Same day. So... Um, I'm going, well, oh my, we just have to do what we can here just to continue to warn this administration uh, of the consequences. We do know that there will eventually be a peace deal, Daniel 9:27. You know, maybe it's going to be a peace deal between um, Israel and the Sunni Arabs, because the Sunni Arabs are pretty much fed up with the Palestinians. They go, you know, you've yeah. done nothing but affect the relationship that we could have had with Israel over all these years. This yes. is, that's the words of an Egyptian leader. Wow condemning the Palestinians for interfering with a relationship that they could have with Israel. Are you and, talking about Egypt, or are you talking about Saudi Arabia? No, the Egypt. Egypt. And also okay. Saudi Arabia. Yeah. I mean, Prince Salman is very open. I mean, he and Kushner have developed a very close relationship, which is interesting. I mean, this is an Orthodox Jew, Kushner, and uh, the prince of Saudi Arabia have developed a close relationship. And he even said Israel has the right to their land. And, um, and also the Saudis in Israel are working very close on intelligence, and uh, that level of cooperation has been remarkable because of the Sunnis, the Arabs, the Sunni Arabs, and the, the Saudis believe that Israel will be the first to be hit by an Iranian nuke, and they would be the second. Well, some people say, no, Saudi Arabia could be the first because that bad blood between the Shiites and <laughs> the Sunnis yeah. is very significant. Yes, it is. Wow. That's and that's absolutely incredible. Uh, you would think now with President Vice President Pence, though, being a true believer, that he would have President Trump's ear regarding <laughs> dividing the land. Yeah, and uh, he has received my book. I sent uh, on uh, first week in September. My book uh, and letter went up there, and it it went to uh, six or seven offices. So they uh, they have this. Um, yes. And, um, you know, this is the elusive deal. This is a deal that other presidents haven't been able to make. Um, I think that Kushner and Trump are coming out, and uh, along with Salman, and possibly al-Sisi of Egypt and Salman of Saudi Arabia are going to come up with a very significant, comprehensive plan. Uh, that will be out-of-the-box thinking. It will be very interesting. I've heard some rumors about it. matter of fact, Kushner is on the way to uh, Israel, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia next week in preparation for the re... re uh, uh, there's a couple of points in the plan that they want to reiterate and go over some uh, questions and also talk about the timing of the Trump plan being released. So he's on the way there next week, so uh, we'll watch closely, but it's, it's you know, it's... <laughs> let, let the deal come out of some other country's mouth so they can yeah. get the hurricanes and tornadoes. Uh, exactly, Greg. <laughs> it's, uh, it, you know, you get involved in these things, and the momentum, the momentum builds, and you hope to have peace in the Middle East. It's an elusive dream, but, it yeah, sure I is. agree with you. It would be nice if someone else was doing this. Well, Bill, this has been a great hour. Tell the folks again how they can follow your work and get in touch with you. Thank you, Greg. Uh, our website is watch.org. That's W-A-T-C-H.org. Uh, we post news every day of the year, and I put out every Friday a 
weekly news report called the Koenig's Eye View from the White House. Fantastic. Bill, again, thank you so much for being our guest. And folks, don't forget next Friday, Pastor Mark returns to share more signs of the times with us right here on WIAM. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next Friday.